The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 441st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have a location that was suggested by our listener, Caitlin Curry, and that is the Weems Bots House, which is today a museum. Before we get into talking about the history and the haunts of this house, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Kelly with an I. She spells it wrong, Kelly. <laughs> That's how I always wanted my name spelled when I was younger, though. Oh, okay. Alex, Angie, Sarah with an H, Patricia, and Alessandra. Thank you for joining us in the Spooktacular crew. And now this moment, Naughty. As spooky weird kids, some of us may have already heard of the Laos Plain of Jars. This site, located in northern Laos, is comprised of more than 2,100 megalithic stone jars. British anthropologist Ursula Graham Bauer had lived with the Zemanaga people in the 1930s. According to her reports, this tribe believed the jars to have been made by the La Siemi people. French researcher Madeleine Kalani concluded that the jars were part funerary practices with remains, burial goods, and ceramics being found around these jars. Some of the one to three meter tall carved containers weigh up to 14 tons. They are sometimes found alone or in groupings of up to several hundred. The stone structures are mainly made of sedimentary rock and are interspersed throughout the Shang Kaowang Plain in the Laos Highlands. They are today a popular tourist destination as site number one of the UNESCO World Heritage Jar Sites. There are many unique methods of burial throughout history but using 14-ton jars made of stone certainly is odd. Scared yet? Boo! <laughs> and now, this month in history. month of June on the 8th in 1872, Congress approved the Penny Postcard. This new legislation was in response to public demand for an easier way to send short notes. 
From 1872 until 1898, the Postal Service monopolized the pre-stamped postcards. This is until Congress passed the Private Mailing Card Act, which gave private publishers the right to print postcards. These cards could be mailed for one cent versus the two cent fee to mail a letter. This era of cards only allowed for messages to be written on the front and nothing on the back. After March 1, 1907, the back of postcards was divided in half. The right side was to contain the mailing address and the left side was reserved for messages. At this time, the front space, which had been used for messages in the past, disappeared. The first photos appeared on postcards in 1939, and while their production slowed during World War II, after the war, the postcard became a tourist staple. And I don't know about all of you, but postcards give me a feeling of nostalgia. And hey, after 150 years since the postcard's inception, it has only gone up in mailing costs to 40 cents, although it's waiting for the approval to jump to 44 cents. And our listener and executive producer of the show, Scott Booker, is a big fan of postcards and even has his own production and distribution company for it, the Phoenix Post. You guys have probably heard the ad on here before. I love the postcards that he creates. You can find out more about his stuff at the Phoenix Post over on Etsy. The Weemspots House is located in Dumfries, Virginia. This town used to have a big reputation, rivaling towns like Philadelphia and Boston. But today, it's just a little knockabout place. The house is a museum that is considered one of the most haunted locations in the state. The Merchant family were the last private owners of the house, and they still seem to be here. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Weemspots House. Algonquin-speaking tribes lived along the Potomac River, and a Potawomac village was near Quantico Creek before English settlers came to the area of present-day Dumfries. A man named Richard Gibson was one of the first settlers to the future Dumfries, Virginia, which was known as Quantico at the time. He built the gristmill on Quantico Creek in 1690, and his success brought more settlers who built other mills, warehouses, and a custom house. The town of Dumfries was founded in 1749 by John Graham, and he named it after his birthplace in Scotland, Dumfries. This makes it the oldest continuously chartered town in Virginia. Did you know that? I had no idea. I'd never even heard of this town, and that's amazing. It's the oldest one there. Originally, Dumfries just covered 60 acres, but it became the second leading port in colonial America. Dumfries grew to have taverns and ordinary schools, a theater, opera house, a granary, a bakery, a shipyard, racetrack, and a ferry to Maryland. This little port rivaled the likes of Boston and New York. The main commodity the town dealt with was tobacco, and it was so prominent that tobacco notes, which were promissory notes calculated by the quantity and quality of the tobacco, were the main form of currency. When shipping turned more towards wheat and sugar, and then the shipping canal filled with silt, and the Revolutionary War started, Dumfries' prominence waned, and today it remains a small town with a population around 5,000 people. There was a church established here even before the original gristmill was built and this was known as Quantico Church. 
a house was built to serve as a vestry for the church. This was bought by Parson Mason Locke Weems in 1798 after he migrated from Maryland to use as his bookstore. Weems was born in 1759 in Maryland to Scottish parents. He originally studied medicine, but had a religious conversion and decided to study theology in London. He became a minister and wrote the first biography of President George Washington shortly after the president's death. He came up with the cherry tree story. So, you know, the one where little old George goes out with his axe and cuts down the cherry tree in the yard and his dad comes out and is like, what happened to the tree? And George says, I cannot Can't tell, tell a, lie. a lie. I cut it down. <laughs> and his dad was proud of him because he didn't lie. This guy came up with that story. So it never happened. <laughs> you just ruined my entire childhood. I'm history. sure we all, all of us kids grew up hearing that story. George Washington could not tell a lie. So you shouldn't either. Weems was first ordained into the Episcopal Church, but he started leaning towards the beliefs of the Methodists, so he was required to resign as rector. He then began a traveling ministry, and he sold books. He married Frances Ewell in 1795. While Weems owned the bookstore, he wrote that biography on Washington. Frances's father died in 1805, leaving her mother in debt, and the couple lent a considerable sum of money to her mother. In 1806, the couple moved into the Ewell estate, known as the Bel Air Plantation, as a partial repayment of the debt. Weems had already sold the bookstore to attorney Benjamin Botts in 1802. The house would become Botts' law office. In 1807, he defended former Vice President Aaron Burr in his treason trial. It was the only time in U.S. history that such a high-level government official was tried in court for treason. Burr was acquitted, but his political career was over after this trial. Botts died in the Richmond Theater fire that happened on December 26, 1811. As was the case with these fires in early theaters, the audience thought the fire was in effect until one of the actors ran on stage and shouted that the house was on fire. There was only one exit for the bulk of the audience and the building was engulfed in 10 minutes. Again, this was before they had all the fire measures that we have nowadays. 72 people died, including Benjamin Botts. The governor of Virginia also died, as did the head of the Bank of Virginia. So there were some pretty important people in that audience. But we tend to forget that there were also families, slaves, freedmen, and the rich and poor of the city of Richmond. All of them died there. Most of the remains were put into two large mahogany boxes, and all the bodies were buried in a mass grave where the orchestra pit had been. The monumental church was built on top of the charred site. Makes me wonder if that church is haunted. Shall we go into the rabbit hole and see what I found out about this church? You jump first. <laughs> Here we go. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole and I've brought you with me. So we had this fire that happened there and the people were buried here. This church today now serves as a historical landmark, a church, and a crypt that many say is incredibly haunted, according to the Quell Bell magazine. The victims who lost their lives in the fire of 1811 are still buried in the church today. Their remains are in those mahogany boxes, as we said, and they're walled into the crypt of the church basement. You would think with so many remains of victims of the fire that there would be legends and ghost stories, and there are. Many church workers and paranormal experts have confessed to having eerie experiences at the church. There have been voices heard coming from the balcony of the church and unexplained noises as well. Many of the doors slam shut without anyone being around them, and some of the doors will open and close freely. 
Church workers have told stories of leaving their tools in one spot, only to have the tools disappear and reappear in a completely different place. Some workers have heard heavy footsteps in the church, and it's said that some of them were so scared that they never returned to Monumental Church ever again. Caretakers have mentioned that motion detectors have gone off at random times without a person in sight. Sounds like this church has made quite an impression on people. There was a paranormal team that went in, and they set up audio and video recorders. They came back with some audio of an unidentified woman saying, come up here. The church is still open for tours and weddings, and people say it does seem to have a creepy feel to it. It is a crypt after all. So, very cool. I wondered if it had hauntings going on, and there's our answer. All right, what should I use to get out of this hole this time? Did you bring the grappling hook? I forgot it. You just threw this on me last minute. Hmm. I'll boost you up, and then you pull me up. Okay, here we go. You stepped on my face. Sorry, I lost my footing. After Botts and his wife died in the fire, the property title was sold for taxes in 1835 and three years later repurchased by four of Botts' sons. The property passed through hands for a while and was then purchased by the merchant family in 1869. The family consisted of Richard and his wife Annie and their two daughters, Violet and Mamie. There had been two sons also, but they died young. Mamie had epilepsy, which was misunderstood in the mid-1800s. The seizures were treated as some kind of demonic possession or mental illness. The merchants were ashamed and kept Mamie from going out of the house, even locking her in her room so that no one would see her having a seizure. Eventually, Mamie died during a seizure in 1906. Now, I've heard stories that she fell down the stairs, so I don't know if that happened while she was having a seizure or if that's just some other story and, you know, people do die sometimes having a seizure because they choke on their tongue or something like that or suffocate, so I'm not sure. Richard died just six months after Mamie, leaving Annie widowed. Violet had moved away to start setting up a home with her fiancé. Annie demanded that Violet return home to help care for her. Violet did as her mother asked, but she would pace the floors and weep every night. This lasted for 46 years until Annie died in 1952. Violet stayed on at the house until she died in 1968. Can you imagine? She probably was like, oh, my mom, she's probably not going to be around for that much longer. So I'll go back and help her out like she wants me to. And then it turns into 46 years. Yeah, not just a short term thing. Yeah, you never have a life of your own. The town of Dumfries acquired the house in 1974 and leased it to Historic Dumfries, Virginia, Inc. That organization restored the house and opened it as a museum. Today, the house is covered in weatherboards and the gable roofs are covered with sheet metal, and there's a one-story porch across the entire front of the house. The original structure was a story and a half with a single 11-foot by 16-foot room on each level. The front section of the house had a single louvered casement shutter. In the mid-19th century, a two-story wing was added. This has a closed winding staircase. In the 20th century, a one-story kitchen was added behind the 18th century wing, and a one-story wing was added to the west end of the mid-19th century section. It's a hodgepodge, definitely, of a bunch of different additions and everything. They've also added a gazebo, which is a little ways off, that's considered part of the property, and there's an archival house. I don't know if it's stored in one of these wings or if it has a whole separate building for that. I'm not really sure. When people started touring the museum, reports of haunting activity started surfacing. 
A closet door in a bedroom would open by itself almost every day, and the windows opened and closed on their own. Books would fly off the shelves on their own as well, literally appearing to be thrown with force. This was thought to happen because a doorway was plastered closed and the bookshelf was put in front of it. Civil War spirits were seen behind the house. The creepiest unexplained thing was a creepy doll that would move around the parlor on its own. The activity brought so much attention to the house that in 2004, they introduced ghostly lock-ins during the month of October. Two of the spirits in the house are thought to be Mamie and Violet because of the unhappy lives they lived in the house. Their father, Richard, is thought to be at the house as though he is protecting his daughters in the afterlife. The room upstairs where Mamie was locked away has strange sounds that emanate from it when no one is in the room. Some of those sounds include loud female screams. A Marine Scout leader brought in his Boy Scout troop to the house one time, and he had some kind of panic attack in Mamie's room. He started sweating and went pale. His eyes widened in terror, and the tour guide asked if he was all right. And all he managed to blurt out before running out of the house was, she, she needs a rocking chair. The guide finished her tour and found the leader outside. He refused to go back in the house. Staff later found out from a living family member of the merchant family that Mamie had a rocking chair in her room that she always sat in while she watched the world outside of her window. The curtains flutter in this bedroom when the window isn't open, and a picture flies off the wall on occasion. And speaking of windows, one of them in Violet's room opens and closes throughout the day and night. Staff will find the window open when they are beginning their shift in the morning, and they know they closed it the night before. A group of high school students were visiting the house, and one was speaking to the docent next to this window. The window opened, shocking the student, and the docent told her it was the ghost saying hi. The window later closed itself. Can you imagine standing there talking to the docent, and all of a sudden you're like, (laughs) that window just creeped up. And I don't think it's humidity causing that. I mean, it would depend upon how much it went. If it was just slight, I'd be like, "Mm, maybe it's the house doing something weird and then closing by itself. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. And with the scout leader saying that about the rocking chair when he had no idea that that was the situation, that's pretty, pretty interesting. And I was for sure to add in, this wasn't just a scout leader. He had been a Marine. So you've got a Marine leading this group of boys and for him to run out of the house and leave him there and be like, I'm not going back in there. It must have, <laughs> I don't know what he saw or heard, but I would love to have been able to ask him because clearly he was looking at something. Well, it seems like Mamie was somehow letting him know that she needed her rocking chair because they probably didn't still have one available to her. Yeah, because if she was just, say, like whispering something in his ear, I don't think he would have reacted like turning pale and like looking in terror in the corner of the room. Now, maybe if you hear a voice, but usually if you hear something, you'd be kind of like, did somebody around me say something? The fact that he had that reaction makes me think he actually saw something. And the way he said it, I wonder if she was kind of angry and looking at him like, you know, get my rock and <laughs> Perhaps. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The executive director of the museum is Lisa Timmerman, and she told journalist Mia Brabham in 2021 of some of the experiences she had had for an article in the Prince William Living magazine. She said, Back in November of 2019, I had Jeff Seguin, an independent paranormal researcher and museum's volunteer paranormal tour guide, stop by the historic home to investigate an odd security alarm fault that occurred midweek around 3 in the morning. One of our front door alarms had been triggered, and I noticed that a colonial-style latch on the inside of the door seemed to have been bent. I thought that perhaps something tried to push the door open from the outside. While we were standing in the colonial vestry room discussing what may have occurred, Jeff stopped our conversation and directed my attention to the sound of footsteps walking across the wooden floor in the bedroom directly above us. It was as if someone was walking across the colonial bedroom, towards the stairs, to eavesdrop on our conversation. We quickly went upstairs, but the room was empty. Also, two years ago, a guest on this ghost tour claimed she was gently pushed on her lower back while seated on the floor of the colonial bedroom, with her back to the staircase. She described the non-threatening touch as purposeful, with a tingly static electricity quality to it. Perhaps someone on the staircase was trying to get her attention. What I love about her description is that's the way you and I have both felt when we've been touched. So I believe that something did touch her because I've experienced that. Yes, indeed. And she also shared, in September of 2019, I was wrapping up a final tour on the far side of the house. This area was once an exhibit area for a Dumfries historian, Lee Lansing. As I was chatting with the guests in this exhibit room, I felt a slight tug on the back of my jacket sleeve. It was odd, but I think it was a bug. The same happened a few weeks ago when I felt something on my foot. Although I could not find the bug, I did jump and slightly yell. Yeah, Kelly, because, you know, bugs normally tug on shirts. (laughs) Why would they think it was a bug tugging on their shirt? It's one thing if you, like, feel it crawling on you or something, but tugging? And there was also this story. One story we tell on our ghost tour is of a guest who stopped by our annex building. She was impressed with a costume Civil War reenactor she had met in Merchant Park. The museum staff quickly rushed to the windows, but we could not find the person she was referring to. We informed the guests that we did not have any costume reenactors, and she was very puzzled. Apparently, she had a conversation with this individual. But when the topic of how modern-day events could be compared to events that occurred during his time period, the soldier had an unusual reply. According to the guest, he said, I don't know too much about that, but the nice ladies in the museum could probably answer that for you. Oh my gosh, I love it. I mean, can you imagine the ghost is like, those ladies are nice. I think they can answer your question for you because I don't really know how stuff nowadays compares to how I had it. Right. How incredible. What's cute about this is like I've talked about going to Colonial Williamsburg when I was a kid. And of course, everybody there is dressed in that time period. They're doing different tasks according to that time period. And I had a lot of fun the one day when we were there because a plane flew overhead. And I was like, oh, well, what do you think about that plane up there? And it was like, didn't even phase them. Like, they were like, what are you talking about? What's a plane? And it was a lot of fun because they were trying to keep in character. 
So you can imagine she's going up to this reenactor thinking, oh, I'm going to ask him some questions about back in the Civil War time. And he's like, I really can't compare the two because he doesn't know. Exactly. And I love you can imagine she was probably like, what's going on when she tells the staff? Oh, this really great Civil War reenactors out there. And they're all like, wait, where, where? And they're running for the windows. I love that they ran for the windows to look (laughs) out because they want to see it. (laughs) They were like, we know it's a ghost if you're seeing that. So very cool. The dead files came to the museum in 2017 after an employee asked them for help because the activity had ramped up enough that she was afraid of coming to work. Some of the activity had even gotten physical. The employee had had her hair yanked by something she couldn't see. This employee told Steve that she saw a full-bodied apparition come into the house through a side doorway, walk down the hallway, and he disappeared into the kitchen. She took Steve into the park near the house and told him about a terrifying shadow figure she had seen in the park. It stood at least seven feet tall with very long arms and legs, but it moved in a weird way, almost like a spider. Amy immediately picked up on a man calling himself Uncle Bob, and she felt like he was a former owner. He let Amy know that he didn't like the changes done to the house. He messes a lot with the light fixtures to indicate his displeasure. Amy also picked up on the spirit of a Civil War soldier. I wonder if he's the one back from our reenactor. Could be. Joanne had been the director at the house for eight years when Dead Files came. She told Steve that she'd been on the verge of dying. And I mean, literally. She had some kind of illness. Right. Amy, on her side of things, picked up that the house was making people sick, causing them to be very tired and causing potassium issues that could cause heart problems. Was this what had made Joanne sick? They didn't come right out and say it on the show, but they went between the two back and forth. So clearly that's what they were trying to insinuate. Right. Joanne also witnessed her son getting thrown down the stairs. Now, I don't know how violent this was. It didn't hurt him. So I don't know that it was that bad. Maybe it was just a push or something and he wasn't, didn't go that far. A volunteer named Natalie told Steve that she had seen the floating head of a slave in the house. That would have been scary. She feels pressure sometimes on her chest in the annex building and it makes it hard for her to breathe. She's also felt cold hands go through her hair and she's been touched on her arms and legs by something she couldn't see. And of course, when it comes to Amy, everything is like demonic these days. So, you know, everything was negative and horrible. So other stuff that we've heard, I don't think there's really anything that negative in this house. Other haunted hotspots in Dumfries are Dumfries Cemetery and Dumfries Elementary School. These are included on ghost tours and sometimes even the hunts. A teacher once told a docent at the museum that she and the children in her class had seen the spirit of a child in the schoolyard. One student looked out the window and saw her, and after yelling about it, the entire class was looking out the window and saw the child in a long skirt that seemed to be from colonial times. The teacher managed to get the students all back in their seats, and when she glanced outside again, the child's spirit was gone. Dumfries is a small town, but clearly has a big reputation when it comes to spirits. Is the Weemspot's house and surrounding area haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, thank you to Caitlin for suggesting this to us. It's got some crazy stuff going on there, and it's not a real big place. So definitely something to check out if you're in the area. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We did hear from Patty, 
She's going back through the archives. So she's way back there, Kelly, and she wanted to talk about McMenamin's Edgefield in Troutdale, Oregon. She said, I just listened to your podcast regarding this establishment. I live near Edgefield and frequently enjoy the atmosphere there. Friends of ours got married there, and we all stayed in the powerhouse, which have rooms that are just as they were back when it was a poor farm and shared bathrooms. It was really quaint and fun. Well, for you, Kelly, that's not quaint. (laughs) I'm just not a fan of sharing bathrooms and places like that. That's all. I've never felt any disturbance there, and we made sure to visit each bar in public rooms and halls. I love to look at the paintings in the halls and on the doors. I've never encountered any sign of haunting. Never felt as if ghosts are about me, not even a twinge. If you do get out here, there are McMenamin establishments throughout Oregon, at least western Oregon. Each building is a rescued building. In Portland, there's a school, there's a hotel, and a Masonic home, to name a few. Really enjoy your podcast, and as you can tell, I'm very far back, back near the beginning. Keep it up. I enjoy your show immensely. So thanks for writing, Patty. And uh, I told her it's never too late for a ghost to interact with you. So there might be some other time when she goes up there now that she knows maybe to expect it. She might have a little something going on. And I told her that's one of the things I loved about McMinimins is they go into these historic properties and fix them up and save them and then use them for other things. So it's a very cool, cool thing. Hopefully you guys were able to check out our Paranormal Conversations number nine. We were joined by Melanie Ramsey, who joined us in 2017 for the Old South Pittsburgh Hospital episode. Kelly wasn't able to join us on that one, but I picked her brain about their different investigation techniques, how it is to have veterans going into these haunted locations and doing investigations, how that might be different than just some of us regular civilians doing it. And then she's also going to join us on our next episode talking about Wilden Manor. I want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. And that is the Weemspot's house, which is today a museum. And when I hear the name of that place, I start getting that Hanson song going in my head. Mbop. Weemspot's. Do, 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 Weemspot's. Oh, my word. You know, I got to sing at least once on every show if I can. Squeeze it in. Yeah. Uh (laughs) He originally studied medicine, but had a religious (laughs) conversation. He might have had a religious conversation, probably with God. (laughs) Telling him, you're going to convert, man. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting little face you made and noise. I can make noises with my mouth, too. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And the listeners are like, great, thanks for that.